to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, I'll be reading verses 1 through 10. 16, 1 through 10. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the observance for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inspired, instructive, and by His grace and mercy and spirit, penetrating word to our minds and souls. Let's pray. Father, your ways, as we even see in this passage, are so far beyond us, often. And so, in that context, cause us to see this, to see your sovereignty, to see your beauty, to see your care, and to trust you in your strange workings to the glory of of our Lord Jesus. Amen. So now here's Luke. He begins the story of the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. And what stands out here is not Paul, it's not his teammates, but it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moving and guiding these Christians, these sinners who have been set apart unto Jesus and for the work of the gospel. And just for a moment, picture what we just read. Picture this passage with one big difference. The Holy Spirit decided to remove Himself from the earth. Would Paul and his missionary team have felt something vastly different 
than what we read here. Obviously. All right, now let's put it this way. If the Holy Spirit decided to remove himself from our lives in this room over the next week, would anything feel different? Would we act any differently? Would we even notice a difference? It is very easy to fall into cultural Christianity where we just function in the flesh. Where maybe if the Spirit were totally removed, we would just keep going and not notice a thing. Maybe. From the beginning of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit through Luke has made it clear that this is about the proclamation of the gospel and the expansion of Christ's church due to the power, the indwelling, the filling, and the moving of the Holy Spirit in believers. And all of us today are called to walk by the Spirit. We're called to depend upon the Spirit, depend upon the leading of the Spirit, to fight against our own flesh and sinful nature by the indwelling power of the Spirit, to do the work of ministry, which is the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the Spirit by the Holy Spirit. What stands out in this passage is that the Holy Spirit did not allow them to do what they planned to do. And then He didn't allow them to go do this other thing. And then He gave a vision to Paul in the middle of the night and finally they got more clearer direction about where to go to Macedonia. Now, there's two paragraphs here. The first one, verses 1 to 5, does not mention the Holy Spirit. But it would be a totally wrong conclusion to draw, to say, well then, what we read in verses 1 to 5, maybe it was totally out of the Holy Spirit's will, since he's not mentioned there. No, 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 no. So, as the Holy Spirit in verses 6 to 10 forbade them to go do this, he could have easily have forbidden Paul if he wanted him to not circumcise Timothy. What we are meant to assume here is that Paul and these Christians, these fellow sinners who are in Christ, are seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and His leading and doing what they know to do. And as they do it, the Holy Spirit turns them in different directions. But they are intently following the Lord and prayerfully trying to take steps. And then the Lord directs their paths. This passage is also a guide to our lives. It's a mirror to our lives individually, as a local church, as churches in this world, do we seek the filling, the moving, the directing of the Holy Spirit in our lives? So, if you're there, let's notice first 
the sovereign, providential hand of the Holy Spirit where we see he brought Silas into Paul's life. And then he brought a young man named Timothy into Paul's life. Let's actually begin reading with verse 40 of chapter 15. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. So they leave Antioch, which is in Syria, and they go to all these other towns where churches have been planted, and they preach to them, they teach them, and they're delivering the letter that was written coming out of the council in Jerusalem. The false gospel is, you have to be circumcised, become Jewish, you Gentiles, to be saved. Don't believe it. No, no, no. But we ask you to do these four Things And then Luke tells us the result was that the churches were strengthened. Not physically, but spiritually strengthened. And then they go back to Derby and to Lystra. And that took guts. Lystra was the town where Paul had rocks thrown at him over and over again and almost died. Two years later, they go back. Now he's with Silas. But he's got Silas. Doesn't say it, but he is a human being. Paul's still grieving, as Barnabas would be, over what happened between them and their separation. And now along with Silas, we see in this passage, God brings a young man into Paul's life who would become like a son. To him. A disciple was there in Lystra named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Okay, just flash forward a little bit. Eighteen years after this first meeting, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy. It goes like this, 2 Timothy 1. I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you, Timothy, as well. And so as we see from Acts, we see from Paul, Timothy's mom and his grandma, they were Jewish women, Timothy's dad was non-Jewish. Timothy essentially grew up as a Jew. He grew up inundated with the Holy Scriptures. As Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise to salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, Timothy, is breathed out by God. So there's Timothy, not a full-blown Jew. His father was a Greek, but essentially raised that way, and he was filled with the Hebrew scriptures. Now, almost two years earlier than what we're reading here in Acts then, these two women and Timothy come to faith in Jesus through the preaching of the gospel when Paul and Barnabas and their team came through Lystra two years before this. And now by the time of this second visit, what we see is that Timothy... He's probably between, most scholars think, 19 years old to 23 years old. Luke tells us he has already established a good reputation among the Christians, not only in Lystra, but 20 miles away in Iconium, which shows us that these churches early on in distances like that would communicate with one another, would go back and forth. And evidently, therefore, Timothy's conversion, Timothy's passion, his energy, his love for Christ, most likely his teaching of the Scriptures and his newfound faith in Jesus the Messiah caused him to be known in the churches of Lystra and Iconium, and he had a good report. He was well spoken of by the brothers, the Christians at Lystra and Iconium, Luke tells us. So Paul, he gets there, and he notices, I don't know, within weeks, this commitment. Some of these giftings of young Timothy. And he decides, or could we say the Holy Spirit led Paul to mentor Timothy to bring him on to his missionary team. And so he does, and this begins a lifelong, close friendship between Paul and Timothy. God brought Silas. He brought Timothy. And if you read slowly through this passage, what also comes out of it is another relationship that was brought into Paul's life. Paul may have first met this medical doctor, maybe when he was almost stoned to death and this guy cared for him there in Lystra. But you can see that this physician, who was also converted to Christ, in this passage now, joins Paul and the missionary team. It's right there in verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia. Did you see the pronoun? We, first person, plural. Luke's entire narrative of Acts through the first 15 chapters have been in the third person. He, 
they said, did such and such and such. And then all of a sudden, first person, plural, we. Luke is now part of this missionary team. And this begins the first we section in the book of Acts, which this first one goes from here to the end of chapter 16, when they come in and, and plant a church in Philippi. And we know that because chapter 17, verse 1, it begins with, and when they, so now he goes back to third person, which also instructs us that this is almost certainly what happened. Luke was left in Philippi to help shepherd the new church that was planted there. And that goes on through chapter 17, 18, and 19. And then the second we section picks up again in chapter 20, verse 5, which is about seven years later. And it continues through the entire rest of the book of Acts. Through Paul's travel, through Asia, all the way back to Jerusalem, that journey to his imprisonment for a couple years, on the ship to Rome in chains, on getting in Rome. And Luke is with him all of that time. And so Luke is a close friend and brother of Paul's and a fellow worker in the gospel. And these new relationships didn't happen by chance. Lord knows what people need and who they need at differing times of their lives. He knew that Paul needed Silas. He knew that he needed Luke and who knows how many others. And he knew he needed Timothy to mentor so think about the close relationships in your lives. Even at different seasons of your lives. Mentors. Pastors. Professors. Teachers, when you're a kid, older saints, peers, all who have contributed to your life. Those were not accidents. So we ought to be thankful to God, as Paul clearly was. And then Luke shows us how Paul, he walked in wisdom. And this wisdom led him to a practical ministry decision of getting Timothy circumcised. Circumcised because he wanted to bring Timothy with him now in their missionary journeys to unreached peoples and unreached cities where he always goes to the Jews first. 
So we read in verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, when Paul did this, he was in no way inconsistent with his convictions, no way inconsistent with his understanding of the gospel. Yes, we have seen over the previous weeks, Paul and Barnabas fought tooth and nail against the false gospel from a sect within Christianity which was telling uncircumcised men, you must be circumcised in order to be saved by Jesus. Or you can't be saved. And they would have none of it. So much so that Paul lets us know in Galatians, they purposefully, when they went back to Jerusalem, took an uncircumcised Gentile pastor preacher named Titus in order to put him as exhibit A and say, you can no longer be silent, Peter, John, James. Here he is. Does Titus need to be circumcised like these guys say or not? And as Paul puts it, we didn't give in even for a moment. No, we refused to allow Titus to be circumcised. So why does he take Timothy through this Jewish ceremony of circumcision? Because the context was totally different. With Titus, the question was whether a man is saved, is justified by grace through faith alone, or whether he must, with that faith, add doing the Mosaic law. When that's the context, there's no way in the world Paul will put up with it. Because that would have compromised the very gospel itself. But with Timothy, who was half Jewish, it was a matter of wisdom in missions. Of not causing needless offense to the unbelieving Jews to whom they're going to in order to evangelize them to Jesus the Messiah with going the full route with Timothy, where his mom and grandmother are Jewish. Now Timothy will go into the synagogue city after city with Silas and with Paul in order to preach the gospel of Jesus. And they would do it as Jews. This has always been Paul's basic principle we saw a couple weeks ago from 1 Corinthians 9. And that's what he's doing here. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. Or counsel Timothy to do the same. In order to win Jews to Jesus. And that's why he does it. And so, now, off to church after already existing church. They go, verses 4 and 5. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance 
the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So they go and they preach, teach, deliver the letter, and it strengthens the already converted. Strengthens the believers, it strengthens the churches to hear the gospel preached, unfolded, affirmed over and over and over again. That's why we Christians over these last 2,000 years, we pray the Word, we read the Word, we sing the Word, we preach and we teach the Word in community week after week after week after week. It strengthens the believer. It strengthens the communities. And then Luke directs our attention now beginning with verse 6, to the leading and the directing of the Holy Spirit as these Christians are already actively serving the Lord. They're praying. They're planning. They're preaching. They're delivering. Now before us are new places. Haven't heard the gospel. Where do we go? In other words, they weren't just sitting around waiting, well, if God never moves us at all, I don't do anything. They're doing what they have already known to be doing. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, another region of numbers of cities. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding or because we concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So there, this missionary team, they're actively walking with the Lord. And then the Lord turns them. You know, it's a lot easier to steer a car if you're moving than if you're just parked. There may be a principle there for our lives as believers as we are active, actively serving the Lord and what the scriptures are directing us to do and callings that he is giving us seems to maybe be a little easier to sense, to hear the Holy Spirit's direction. Directions in life, they have nothing to do with immoral or moral. That's in Scripture. 
But there's so many decisions that I can go door A or door B. The scripture doesn't forbid any of it. I don't know. What does wisdom dictate? They're out to preach the gospel. Where do we go? Well, let's go here. And then the Holy Spirit says, no. Was it inherently sinful to go into Asia? No. It would have been if they would have rebelled against the Spirit. Though. So here's, this, this passage raises so many crazy questions to me, which is always a good way to read your Bible. Let it trouble you. Ask the question, what does that, what does that mean? I mean, so here we are, on this missionary journey. So, Lord, before Paul and Silas left Antioch of Syria there, their home church, why didn't you just sit Paul down and just give him a whole itinerary to begin with and let him write it down? He knows exactly where to go. You're God. Why didn't you do that? I don't know. But, but one thing we learn from this passage I think is this. Often, the Holy Spirit leads us by hindering us from something else. It frustrates us. We're baffled by it. Why did the door slam in my face here? Why? I just thought that was the school I was supposed to go to or this relationship. Or that opportunity. In the moments, we don't have answers. Sometimes, hindsight is 20-20 down the road. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That you broke off that relationship. Oh, I'm the only one? Okay. All right. So evidently here they are, they're planning. They're planning to go into Asia. But then they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. They're forbidden to go preach the gospel in Ephesus or Colossae or all the other towns in Asia Minor. You are forbidden Paul and Silas and Timothy and the rest of you on this team. And then they tried to go into another region with numbers of other cities to Bithynia, which is up north by the Black Sea. But then again, the Spirit of Jesus did not let them go there. There's an old saying, we all know it, the Lord works in mysterious ways as wonders to behold, and this has to be an example. Lord, didn't you want all those unbelievers in Asia or in Bithynia? Didn't you want them to hear the gospel of Jesus that could save their souls? And the answer is, I do. But not now. 
And I say I do because the book of Acts lets us know they get into Asia and they get into Ephesus and it spreads out from there. And so these cities of Asia are reached with the gospel. But right now the Holy Spirit said no. And a couple decades later, the Apostle Peter writes a letter to a number of churches in the region of Bithynia, particularly to them. And they were reached. But right now, he forbade it, and he didn't allow it. The Holy Spirit is sovereign. He knows what's up. He knows what's best. He is working all things together for good. And so he stopped these faithful gospel preachers from going into these two regions to preach the gospel. And instead, he guided them into Europe at this time. Why did the Holy Spirit make that choice? I can't find an answer here. Just did. This passage raises all kinds of questions like that. Just leave us wanting. So, for instance, let's read verses 6 and 7 again. Sure raises questions to me. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. What in the world does that mean? Well, it means he didn't allow. I know that, but that's not. How did they. What happened? How did the Holy Spirit forbid them? Please tell me. All we're left with is to guess. To guess. How'd you know it was the Holy Spirit? In what form did he say that? So, throw out. Options. Did the Holy Spirit somehow speak with an audible voice where Paul and a few others, they heard it? He certainly has done that before in Scripture. Is that what happened? Or was it during prayer time and worship time and a prophecy through one of them came forth by the Spirit, like back in chapter 11 of Acts with Agabus? And what was going to happen? And they acted and raised money and sent it to Jerusalem because of a prophecy. Or like Acts chapter 13, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy, here, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called. Probably there, a prophetic word. I don't, is, that what, is that how he did it? Don't go into Asia. Oh, okay. Maybe. Or, or, or was it just through circumstances that somehow kept hindering them from going into these areas when they're trying to? and just Everything's just not going right. And finally, 
they together interpreted this as, I guess the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to go there. Is that what happened? Oh, or was it in their planning, we're ready to do it, and this, you know, gosh, I know we've been planning for three weeks, but gosh, I don't know why, I just don't have an inner peace about this. Why am I bugged about going up to Bithynia? I know, I'm kind of bugged too. Let us pray some more on this. Is that how that happened when the Holy Spirit forbade them? Or, or was it an, an internal leading, speaking of the Holy Spirit? Like we saw in chapter 8 of Acts, verse 29. And the Spirit said... To Philip, go over and join this chariot. Not an audible voice. He lives in Philip, Paul, Silas, Timothy. Paul, don't go. Is that how he did it? I don't know. Those are, I mean, they're possible. But we don't know because he doesn't say. He just says the Holy Spirit forbade them and the Holy Spirit did not allow them. But those are options that are biblical options that seem like possibilities. When you come up with two choices or three choices that have nothing to do with what is clearly spoken of in Scripture. I mean, you don't need to, to, to say, I need the Holy Spirit to guide me to see whether I should commit fornication or not. Okay, or, or whether I should believe in the gospel of Jesus and that we're justified by faith alone. I wonder if that's true. Speak to me, Holy Spirit. That's crazy, nutty stuff. He has spoken very clearly on so many issues, and it's written. But there's a lot of issues. He hasn't spoken clearly. I can't see it written where he tells you whom to marry, what job to take, to go into Asia or not to go into Asia in your missionary journey. And what we see here relates to our lives in another way too. In other words, the question I have is the same question I think we all ask ourselves. Okay, let's just, they're led. Assume it's not a prophecy. Circumstances are, we're just forbidden. It ain't working. How did they know that was the Holy Spirit as opposed to the enemy? In other words, if it's the enemy, well then bust through barriers of hindrances, maybe. Maybe we should fight against that and we should go to Asia anyway. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, we wanted to come to you. That's what we want to do. We want to plan it. We wanted to come to you, Thessalonians. I, Paul, again and again I wanted to come to you. But Satan hindered us. So how did they know the difference? Because sometimes I think the Lord wants us to continue to pray and to continue to knock, knock, knock. <laughs> you 
until the closed doors are open. At other times, it seems as if closed doors are Him saying, no, not now. So, the only thing I know is we're desperate for wisdom in our lives. We're desperate for daily drawing close to the Lord through the Word and through prayer and desperateness and sensitize me to hear you, to, to not let my flesh rule the day. We all know that many, many of us Christians, we do make choices based upon the flesh. Well, that was probably, I didn't know ministry would be that hard, so just quit. Maybe it was the Lord. Maybe it was Satan. Sometimes our decisions are the opposite of walking by the Holy Spirit. Who do I marry? Where do I go to school? Is the Lord calling me into full-time ministry and preparation? Is He not? Do I take this job or that job? This one pays a lot more. Man, it's got to be the Lord. Many marriages have been destroyed by decisions made like that. Thinking it was the best. So whether it's closed doors or whether it's open doors, we are called to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. To press in daily, to walk by the Spirit, to meditate the Word, to obey the Word. And then to trust the Lord's guidance. Like Paul, trust the Lord. There's Paul, the leader of this team, don't go here. Well, there goes that plan. Okay, it's planned this way. Nope, don't go there. And I think at that point, if we we're able to sit down with Paul and that gang and ask them, okay, guys, what are your plans now? They're saying, we have no idea. Here they sat in Troas, up by the beach. We only know what he told us not to do. So we wait. We don't know what to do. And I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb with that principle in watching other people and my own life for 40 years as a believer and to say that often that's how the Lord works. He only gives us pieces. He takes life circumstances, he takes heartaches, he takes pain, he takes all kinds of things that he uses to direct us to do things that a few months earlier we never would have dreamt of doing. That's how he's worked in my life. It took, it took life circumstances to push me out of California and to go to Dallas, Texas to Christ for the Nations. And if you ask me, look at that, okay, what, what's your long-term goal? I don't have a long-term goal. I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just describing right now, I'm not prescribing. 
I don't, my long-term, there's no long-term goal. It's obedience here. This is my goal, to go there and to experience what the Lord wants me to experience over the next two years there. That's my goal. That's all he allowed me to see. And then after graduation, I moved back to California. I never in my wildest dreams had a thought of continue on, continuing on in education. Six months back here, everything changed. I knew I needed to go get my bachelor's degree in biblical studies. There you go. Now you know you're going to be a pastor. I didn't have a clue. I didn't know that. It's not what I got. It's not what he gave me. I didn't know. I couldn't see that. But I knew this is what I needed to do. To go get my biblical studies degree. And then I graduated. And then it just became absolutely irresistible that I needed to go get my graduate degree in theology. Well, then now you know you're called to full-time ministry. You would never do that otherwise, right? I didn't know that. I mean, I actually still couldn't figure out what full-time ministry would mean for me four years after graduating from seminary. I didn't have that. But one bite of an elephant at a time, it was one slow step after another. And many times, it's just, no, don't go there. Where do we go? Just obey me, don't go there. Okay, I'm going to go over here. No, don't go there. Many times, knowing God's will is like driving in the fog. He only gives enough light to see 30 feet ahead. But you've got to move 30 feet ahead. And once you get 30 feet ahead, He still gives more light to see 30 more feet ahead because of your obedience. And you obey again and you continue to move down the road. And so here's Paul and this missionary team sitting there, nighttime now, time to go to sleep in Troas. And then comes, finally, more clear direction about where to go. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, Paul gets the vision. He talks about it with the team. That's what he means by they concluded. It means they discussed it. Is this just bad pizza? Is this what the Lord's calling? I have a really good feeling it is. This place, yeah, you know, we're all agreeing. This really seems to be the direction. And so they concluded, yes. And they get on a boat and they sail to Macedonia. So as we seek the Lord's directions in our lives, Two main big things I want to leave us with. Be careful not to quench the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is very much alive in the body of Christ. 
He lives within us who believe. We're commanded by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul not to quench the Spirit. But, but, but there's so many crazy Christians saying God told me this and that and the other thing and we know he didn't tell them that i can show you from the bible he didn't tell you that so just easier to say i'm not gonna be associated with any of that kind of holy spirit forbade me yeah that's true there is all kinds of wacky stuff but for us who believe and love the gospel don't quench the Holy Spirit. And in that context is where then Paul says, don't be gullible either. Don't be gullible. Examine. Think about. Discuss. Get counsel from other fellow members of the body. And then after you examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which seems to stand up. That's good. That's good. See, the Apostle Paul a strong-headed, type-A personality. He could have said, I know there's barriers here, but let's, let's go preach the gospel in Asia anyway. Let's go. Jesus said, go into all the world. Got a text on it. And that's part of the world. And if he would have done that, he would have been going directly against the Holy Spirit, according to this passage. But he didn't. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, to the Holy Spirit's forbidding. And then finally, he gets a night vision and they obeyed. So as we live our lives day by day and week by week, I go back to where I started the sermon. It's a frightening thought for me. If the Holy Spirit, to test us, withdrew from us for one week, would you notice any difference in your Bible reading? Would you notice any difference in your praying? Would you notice any difference in your decision-making, in your patience, in your anger? If we would notice no difference, that means we need to repent. We need to seek first the kingdom of God and to endeavor to be dependent upon and to walk by the Holy Spirit through the truth of written Scripture so that we don't get deceived and walk according to the spirit of this age and of our own sinful fleshly dictates. So I close with three penetrating lines from Luke that we're to think about in our own walk with the Lord. The Holy Spirit 
forbade them to go there. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. A vision appeared to Paul directing them where to go. Let's pray. Father, as the Apostle Paul, as Silas, as young Timothy, they rested upon the gospel, the truth, the propositions of your eternal Son's life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And that anyone who wants to be saved can be saved if they will trust in Him. Believe that gospel. And they will be saved by their faith. Alone. Through that grace of yours. Alone. They rested there. They had a message. They lived by it. It was in their minds and it was in their hearts. And then they were desperate for the power for the work and for the guidance in life and practicality. Would you continue to cause us as your children to be sensitive, to not quench the Spirit, to live repentant lives of drawing near to you that we may not be deaf to the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name.